Welcome to the Dreamcatcher Podcast, a place where you'll receive a boost of inspiration, practical advice, and tools to maximize your success and personal happiness. And that's not all. You'll also get plenty of guidance on how you can use your gifts, talents, and compassion to contribute towards making the world a better place. Be sure to sign up for our free weekly newsletter for a preview of what's in store and to also receive a free ebook. To sign up, simply visit www.thedreamcatch.com. Now it's my pleasure to introduce you to the host of the Dreamcatcher podcast, Celine Chinoy. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Dreamcatcher podcast, a place where your dreams can find a voice. In our unpredictable and ever-changing world, we're constantly in a state of trying to figure out how to sow our seeds for a happy life. The information age has turned our attention into a currency that's being mined, and time is an increasingly scarce resource. But what if it wasn't? What if we had the ability to take control of how we trade our energy for time, and increase our vitality to live our life to the fullest. That's what my guests Pedram Shojai and I are going to be discussing today. Pedram is a former Taoist monk, doctor of Chinese medicine, and Qigong master. He is a New York Times bestselling author of several books, including The Urban Monk, and the producer of multiple films and series. He's lectured on wellness around the world, and is known for his no-nonsense approach towards teaching esoteric concepts to readers in an easy-to-understand way. In this interview, Pedram is going to share his thoughts on how we can make healthier choices in our life and design a lifestyle that fulfills our needs. We'll also talk about the major energy drainers in the modern world and what we can do to regain vitality. If you like what you heard, please don't forget to like, Rate, share, and subscribe to this podcast. Thanks. Hi, Pedram. How are you doing today? Hi, doing great. Nice to be here. Yeah, I'm so glad that you could make it. I appreciate you taking the time to be here to share your expertise with us on uh, different facets of health and wellness, which you cover extensively in your new book, uh, Focus, Bringing Time, Energy, Money into Flow. And I'm looking forward to discussing some of those concepts with you today. Cool. That's um, what I like to talk about. So, yeah, it's... You know, the, I think the, the world as we know it, um, you know, people aren't realizing how much this news media and attention economy is pulling us away from focusing on our own lives. And so, our, you know, the world's in chaos and our lives are falling apart, not going where we thought they'd be going. And, you know, people feel helpless. And I think that that's uh, a real crisis, a crisis of consciousness, if you will. Um, that is easily brought back into the nexus of one's control, if you know yeah. what you're doing. Absolutely. Yeah. And the current world events are not making it any easier. <laughs> no, no. There's only, I mean, you know, Russia's the new pandemic, right? Like, it's Correct. just literally. Just when we thought it's all over. It's, you know what? It, it keeps coming. And so it there's really only does. so many arrows you can take before you bleed out. You know, in the martial arts, we had a saying it's, like, I don't care how good you think you are. You stand in the ring long enough, you're going to get punched in the face. 
right? And yes, so absolutely, yeah. You, know, you just got a temper. It's, I'm not, I'm not advocating sticking your head in a hole and you know ignoring that the world has issues, but you have to temper that with watering your own garden. If not, you're just going to fall apart, and you're not going to be able to help anyone, you know, because you haven't helped yourself first. Absolutely, absolutely, and we'll be getting into all that later on in our conversation. But I want to start by talking about you, Pedram. Uh, you've got a lot of skills under your belt. Uh, you're a doctor of Chinese medicine. You're a Qigong master, a master herbalist, an acupuncturist, and a producer of movies and TV series. But before you started doing all that, you were a Taoist monk. So tell us about that journey and what made you decide to change your course? Yeah, yeah, it's um, you know, a complicated road, right? But was you know, immigrant kid. Um, you know, what do you do in my generation? Doctor, lawyer, engineer, right? That was kind of the, the formula um, back in the day. Now the formula's changed a little bit, and so where did you come from? On track. Uh, Iran, uh, right after oh. the revolution, took off, okay. and so okay. you know we're, we weren't down for what those guys were throwing down, and so we left, um, you know, with the shirts off on our backs only, and started over. And you know, for uh, a kid who's trying to you know do the right thing and listen to parents who kind of know what's going on in the new world they're in. You study hard, right? So I was number one in my high school. Became, um, you know, became the guy who um, was gonna be a doctor and and kind of do what your parents, you know, do what makes your parents happy. Um, and then in UCLA pre med, I just met a lot of the doctors I was shadowing and just encountered um, a lot of kind of organizational friction inside the medical industry and realized pretty quickly that I didn't want to go into traditional medicine. Um, asked God for a sign and a book fell out of a bookshelf, um, which isn't supposed to happen. And so I, I read the book. It was about a Taoist Qigong master leading his disciples across some river using his energy. It was like weird Jedi stuff. I didn't know what the hell I was looking at. Um, but I knew that when you ask God for a clue and a book falls, you should probably listen. And so, you know, read the book, found a Taoist Kung Fu master, you know, very shortly thereafter and got pulled into a lineage of, Taoist Kung Fu Jedi guys. Um, and, you know, I just couldn't look back because it was fascinating. It was fascinating stuff. Um, and so I just kept going, right? And, uh, you know, been following the breadcrumbs ever since. You know, it's been a very interesting life, to say the least. Wow. Wow. That's a great story. And I, I totally understand, uh, you know, the pressures that you went through about conforming to these cultural expectations. I mean, I come from uh, an Indian background and, you know, we too had that kind of, we have those expectations that we should follow a traditional path. So breaking free from that, I know how, how challenging that can be. And it takes a strong person to do that. Yeah. And you, you know, the, the force of your inner conviction needs to outweigh the, you know, filial duties and, you know, all the things that kind of come culturally. Mm -hmm. um, but at the end of the day, if you don't do what's going to make you happy, what's the point of any of it? What's the point of, you know, money or, you know, being a miserable dad to, you know, create more miserable kids on the planet. Like none of it makes sense if you can't have your inner peace. And so you just have to make a decision that is net positive in that, in that direction. Right. And your folks were okay with this? <laughs> no, but I mean, you know what they, they are now, you know, they I, are now. yeah. I mean, listen, I, I do what I please. I have a great life. I ski a lot. I make more money than any of my medical doctor friends and I'm changing the world. 
you know, scoreboard, right? Like, you know, it's like, listen, and I told them, I said, look, I'll always figure out a way to, to make money. If that's what you're worried about, I'll always figure out a way, you know, I'm not going to show up and live in your living room when I'm 40. Um, I'll figure it out. Um, but you know, I'm going to follow my bliss and I'm going to do what I got to do for me because, you know, for me to not, you know, the guy I was shadowing at UCLA, um, way back in the day, um, was just a miserable human and he was a famous doctor and, you know, he was just a miserable human. He was unkind to other people. He like, you know, yelled at subordinates and, you know, just had that kind of like top down angry dude vibe. And this is like the famous guy I was looking to emulate you know, and on this path towards, you know, doctordom. And, you know, he was one of my brightest angels because it made me realize that, you know, the title bears really nothing on, you know, your, your ultimate happiness and, you know, who you are on the inside. If it's not, if you're not comfortable with that um, from the get go, um, no matter how many titles or, you know, acclaim or fame or money or any of that crap, it's not going to help you. You're just going to be a miserable SOB addicted to some sort of drug and, you know, uh, just unpleasant to be around. Um, and so it really became a, a, a powerful lesson for me to look down the trajectory of a life path that was um, based on external stimuli and, and status and all the things that like society kind of le- leverages, right. Um, to say, you know, this is what you got to do to be happy. And I realized that happiness was an inside game. So I started, you know, I started, I started mining in, in, in those areas, right? And started just started sitting, sitting down, doing a lot of meditation, became a monk. Um, I, you know, a pretty happy guy. Were you a monk uh, in the United States or did you travel somewhere when you did that? Uh, both. So our grandmaster, um, the, the complexities of kind of the, the lineage that I hail from is the communists show up um, and decide that all religion um, is wasteful and frivolous. And so they started killing the monks and burning down the temples. So my grandmaster was the last like living descendant of our lineage. He happened to be off property, if you will, visiting another temple when the soldiers showed up, either killed or imprisoned everyone he knew and burned down his temple. And so the the monks from the other lineage smuggled him on a boat to Chinatown, San Francisco and got him out of there basically. Um, and so he started teaching, um, you know, and eventually ended up in Los Angeles. So I'm under this like tutelage of a guy who's, you know, just kind of living in San Diego by the time I got to him, but he taught my teachers in, in LA. Um, and then as I progressed in the lineage and, you know, showed, showed that I'm showing up, if you will, mm-hmm. then I started getting kind of intro letters to different monasteries and I got to travel through India, Nepal, Thailand. I, mean, I went, I've, I've been around now. And so I got to sit with various gurus. Um, since I sat with the Dalai Lama, the Karmapa Lama, like I got, I, I did the, the kind of traveling monk thing, but yes. the whole my training was just hours and hours a week of Qigong meditation, Kung Fu training. Um, wow. In Los Angeles, California. Um, and it was, it was rigorous. Um, it wasn't as intensive. pretty. Yeah. 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 It was intensive, but it was, it was a very urban, type of training, which is, you know, and, and, and it kind of, it, it points to the thesis of a lot of the work that I put out in my books out there is mm-hmm. you know, nobody has time to run for the hills in the world that we live in. So how do you hold your ground as a householder? And you know, this coming from India, there's the ascetics and the householders and yeah. the ascetics are the, you know, the, 
less than 1% that renounce the world, move up in the hills, you know, adopt my haircut here and, and go, um, you know, and live a life of austerities versus the householders, the people that live in the world, hail from the world, have, you know, families or whatever jobs. How do you, you know, you can't justify 90 minutes of yoga a day. You can't justify all that stuff. How do mm-hmm. you live a peaceful, sensible lifestyle in the real world, if you will, and still hold to some sort of ethical morality and some sort of personal spiritual hygiene? And so my pursuit for this kind of the premise of the urban monk is how do you, how do you bring the temple down to your house? How do you live uh, a fulfilling life? Um, and not run from the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and and in your new book, uh, you actually talk about how to use our energy budget, as you call it, and you actually compare the process to tending to a garden. And I'm just curious to know, uh, Pedram, why did you choose a garden as a metaphor to illustrate your teachings in this book? Yeah, good question. Um, life is a reflection of kind of the natural environment that we come from. And as abstract and distanced we become from nature um, is where we hail from. And it also is what we understand. So it's like, if I want to lose a hundred pounds, it's going to take a minute, right? It's like planting a tomato seed. You don't plant a tomato seed and then check on it and dig it up every day, wondering where the heck your tomatoes are. Takes a good 90 to a hundred days for that, seed to go in the ground for you to continually water it and tend to the soil so that it sprouts. And when it sprouts, you don't pluck it out and wonder where your tomatoes are. You have to wait for things to kind of come to harvest and for fruit to bear, if you will, or vegetables to bear in this example. And so looking at life as a gardening process, I think is how do you live your lifestyle in a way where you understand that the ultimate goal might take a minute and then they're not these like sprints that are filled with stress and, you know, kind of sledgehammer balancing approach, but a a methodical way of looking at where you want your life to be in the next hundred days and living your life accordingly so that every hundred days your your life gets a little further along um, with balance, right? And balance is not, balance doesn't sell, right? Balance doesn't you know, balance isn't sexy, but balance it isn't. Yeah, it works. No, but that's how nature. People works. want overnight. They want overnight success. They want instant success. Like, tell me, tell me how yeah. I can get it tomorrow. Yeah, and it's bullshit, and it's complete. It bullshit. is. It really is. We've been duped into a belief system that that's how things work. Because you know, look, I, you know, I grew up in the West. Like, you know, I watched Scooby Doo and had you know cocoa pebbles. <laughs> Love Scooby Doo. You know what I mean? But like, that's it. You know, the the commercials and the way they were trying to brainwash us as kids carries Mm. into, you know, your newsfeed and carries into a much more insidious um, media play that has now Mm. kind of developed um, the collective consciousness where it's just like, you know, red team, blue team, or, you know, good versus evil and all the kind of narratives that then drive us to give away our power and not think for ourselves. Um, And, you know, if you don't liberate yourself from that, then you're just a slave to the circumstantial information that's being driven to drive you. you know, and, and, and you know what, at, at some point, someone's got to step up and say enough. And so, you know, I'm not the only guy doing this, obviously I'm one of the guys doing this. And, and yeah. there's, just, there's a lot of um, misinformation and distortion trying to convince people that 
you know, they're one listening to one podcast away or one book or one mantra or some, you know, super pill or stem cell procedure that's going to like turn their life around and, and be the game changer. Whereas they could just methodically make better decisions every day and actually change their life. I mean, you know, what's it going to be real or fake? Right, right. And I think it's because people are just, you know, they give into their impulses. You know, I think uh, they don't want to put in the hard work that is actually what is required for, for your garden to grow. You know, you got to water it, you got to add fertilizer, you got to water, you know, you got to uh, remove the weeds, as you mentioned in the book. Um, and that can be a pretty cumbersome process. What's funny is people um, will fall for the false narrative that that work is too much work, but then they live lives that don't work and are a lot more work because now the, the kids got problems in school or, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm worried about being fat all the time or my migraines are out of, out of control. I don't have enough money. I can't make ends meet. And so instead of getting your life together and putting in the yeah. steps to actually get your life together, you will opt in for the lazy path of having a life that doesn't work. That's 10 times more work. And so the path of least resistance is the, the path of the sheeple to just be told what to do and think and follow a narrative that doesn't work. But you are a great consumer of pharmaceutical drugs. You are a great consumer of food that makes you fat that then allows you to take diet pills. It's you, you fall onto the treadmill of the matrix um, and that's the that's the path of least resistance is the path of, you know, really be lying on the sacrificial altar of an industry that is not ethically oriented and isn't there to actually help you. And the harder path, quote unquote, is waking up and being happy and becoming um, kind of self self-actualized as a human that can actually do things on this planet. And, you know, it's it's not easy to wake up because then you have to face all the kind of inconsistencies of your belief system and who you think you yeah. are. But you know, a couple of years after that, then you live an amazing life that people look at you like you're some sort of lunatic because you're not following the same scripts as they are, but you're happy, you're healthy, you're wealthy, you're wise. Um, and you are an exception to the rule of the people that are just, you know, pissed off that their team lost that week. You know what I mean? It's like people yeah. are just into things that are boring. Right. That's true. That's true. And you say you mentioned in your book uh, earlier in the book that a lot of people right now are chronically tired, right? They just feel depleted all the time and they just don't know how to manage their energy. So um, in your experience, why do you think this is the case? I mean, if you look at the energy economics and places where inefficiencies take over, I'm going to go eat a cheeseburger that is going to activate my immune system with all the crap in it. That's also going to take a lot of hydrogen uh, um, and a lot of HCL basically to break down. I'm going to put a lot of energy into breaking down this burger. I'm going to be tired. I'm going to be less effective at work. And I'm going to then drink a diet soda because my stomach's bothering me. And then my blood sugar management goes off. My insulin levels are off. My A1C is off. Now I have to you know, take time out of my day to go to the doctor who's going to throw pills at me. Now I got to pay for the pills and just go down the hill, right? It just, it just keeps tumbling. Um, and that's just in one example. Um, I think that, you know, if you had 10 bars of energy that were required to um, run your life 
and your basic kind of bodily functions um, require maybe you know five of those, but because of your inefficiencies, you're already you know using seven or eight of those bars. Now you're eating low nutrient food, high calorie food, which is doing the yo-yo with your blood sugar and your energy metabolism, and you can't manage your stress because you're um, letting external stimuli. Uh, push you around instead of realizing that it's your reaction to those stimuli that determines, um, you know, the outcomes in your body. Um, you're, you're already at kind of the breadline of energy. And then, you know, you read the news, you, you know, some guy cuts you off. There's, it's so easy to just flip. Right. And so we don't, we don't really instill in our culture that good maintenance is to have fused lengthening exercises, fused lengthening practices in your life that then allow you to have some cushion for when the guy cuts you off or when, you know, Russia bombs, some, you know, some orphanage or something. And then you just, you know, you fall into, I'm, a, I'm having a bad day. And then you're just back on your heels and you are constantly trying to kind of make up for that. You know, do I need an Advil now? Do I need a Xanax? Now? It's just a lack of education, that. right? I mean, it's just not having the right information about what's going to help and, uh, you know, in, in the conditions that you're dealing with. Yes, but I, I would say that that is 30% of the battle. Oh, okay. Um, we live, yeah, we live in a time right now where there's a lack of information. You know, we're on a podcast that can reach, you know, the entire world with a click of a button. And, you know, the information now is being disseminated. Why is the world still messed up? Because the flip side of that is the personal accountability side where mm. I've read for years that yoga is good for me. I know that yoga is awesome. Have I done yoga today? Right? And so the problem is people think that the information is their salvation where I come from the school, you know, I'm a martial artist. Either you're training, like I can read all the kind of books, in the, all the books in the world about how to throw a right punch or, you know, block the right way. If I don't practice it, I'm getting punched in the face, right? If I talk about Qigong and I don't do it, then I'm a hypocrite. And I don't have any of the actual benefits that are derived from the practice of Qigong. I just know intellectually that it's good for me so I can tell my friends about it at Burning Man. It's just stupid, right? It's, it's just the way the world works is everyone thinks that information is the currency. I'm impressed by people who actually do the lifestyles. Do the work. Do the work. Do the work and, and do the work has become so unpopular because, um, you know, and listen, I, I own a media company. I, I'm very well educated on how, you know, my competitors run their businesses and everything. Everyone understands that do the work isn't a popular message. So everyone's in the business of selling sugar cereal to children. Well, we know they're not going to do the work. So let's give them some, the next Hail Mary solution that they believe is going to, you know, do something. They're going to go buy, you know, cans of this or powders of that. And then, you know, the next mango steen or the next, you know, xylitol come along. And, you know, it, it, it's just literally, you know, the Buddha, Buddha call it, called it feeding hungry ghosts, right? Yeah. So it's, it's, it's not real. It's not real. What's real is the person who gets up and does the breathwork exercise, the person who meditates, who can then have a discernible relationship with a meditation practice and then talk about it coming from experience, not someone who, you know, listened to all the podcasts and thinks they know everything. That person, that person is just. Right. So for someone who's listening to this and you know, they're saying, Oh my God, that's me. You know, I, I, I got all the information, but I don't know how to apply it. 
what's one tip you would give them to get the ball rolling? Start with something. Start with something. You know, I get up and I do Qigong. I meditate. Then I start my day and walk. Just the dogs. do it, as Nike says. Just do it. I don't <laughs> care. And so what happens is, you know, the, a lot of these people are stuck in analysis paralysis. They're like, oh, do I do a, a Yengar or a Shtanga? Do I do, <laughs> you know, it's like, they, they, yeah. you know, start with something and do something every day and you'll find yeah. what works for you and then keep going, right? But everyone is stuck in this place where they're not actually doing the things that they know are good for them and talk is cheap. And, you know, those aren't the people that get better. I've, you know, seen thousands and thousands of patients in my day and the ones that get better are the ones that get involved, right? Not the people that say, doctor, fix me. Not the people that have read everything and understand what you're saying, but still don't do anything because they, they're mm-hmm. just being lazy. You got to do the work. Right. And I mean, they could also be having uh, subconscious blocks, right? That, that could be getting in the way. I mean, is that, that's possible, right? Well, okay. I mean, we all do. Listen, yeah. I get up every day and do an hour and a half of Qigong and I have plenty of subconscious blocks. I do it anyways. So I'm just tired of empowering the, the negativity to bring up an excuse that, that, that weighs more than your impetus and drive to do something. At mm. the end of the day, it's a function of your attention and your intention. Focus Correct. on what you want to do and drive your will to it. And you will build that muscle and you will be better at taking care of yourself and you will be better at following through with your word every single day you do it. But unless you start doing it, you're just sinking into the couch and you are, you are putting yourself into a one down position and you are mm-hmm. giving more power to your excuses than your positive lifestyle behavior. Sorry. Right. And I think, you know, the, the other day, like my kid came in 11th place in the ski race this weekend and he was bummed that he'd get a trophy. I'm like, buddy, you get the trophy by winning. There's no 11th place trophy. I am sorry. <laughs> you know, move your ass, right? Move your ass. And I'm not doing it in, in, in a non-competitive way. Right. But, mm. you know, at the end of the day, I think the world has taken a really negative turn and it has been, there's plenty of books and evidence to suggest this, that the advertising industry and, you know, kind of the commercial interests have realized that it's easier to kind of pet your insecurities and pet your, your excuses and have you spend money towards quick fixes that don't work, than convince you that you got to get up off your ass and, and take ownership for your life. And I think that that is um, an ethical crime and it is disempowering humans who would otherwise understand that, yes, you do got to get up and and do your thing, whatever that is, do the work. Do the work. I totally, I totally agree with you. Yeah. I mean, and I try to apply that in my life too. Um, I remember when I started the habit of running early in the morning, it was really hard initially, but I just kept going. And then I noticed that after like a couple of weeks, I got used to it and I started building momentum and it started just started getting easier. I think I really embodied that concept from this experience of, you know, becoming a runner. I think that everyone needs to find that one thing that, that can help them really understand what it means to just get off your butt and do it. That's it. And then as you started running every day, got a little less sucky. Yes. And then the momentum started carrying you into saying, wow, I definitely feel better. Wow, my body looks better. I had more energy. Yeah. And then it's you start stacking data points to convince your brain that doing the right thing is the right thing, 
Whereas, you know, all of the excuses, hey, it's cold, it's dark, my, you know, my knees don't do it or whatever it is, easily outweigh the get up and go. And the, again, the premise is the entire industry feeds the other way, right? Because that's what you want to hear. And they want to tell you what you want to hear, you know, and I stopped caring about, you know, people liking me a long time ago, because I'm just going to be a tough, honest guy. And I'm not here to tell you what you want to hear. I'm I'm telling you, you you need to hear, right? Um, Because I think that ethically, that's the only way to go about helping the world. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with your approach. You're very much influenced by the Eastern traditions. And one of the frameworks that you mentioned in the book uh, is um, is about the three treasures of Taoists, uh, the Jing, Qi, and Shen. Uh, could you please break those down for us and tell us how they feature in our health and vitality? So your Shen is your spirit, your focus, your attention. And as the saying goes, the chi goes to where the shen is focused, right? So where your focus is, your energy flows to, and that will eventually congeal into material reality. Your jing is your essence. It's what you come in with in this world. And you want to reinforce and build your vitality. So that becomes the basis of this kind of bioelectric engine that then metabolizes food and takes oxygen and turns it into this usable energy. And, And the question is, for what? To vote blue or red? to, you know, buy Zara or, you know, Gucci for what? And then the Shen really is the spirit of self-illumination and the introspective nature of trying to figure out who you are and what this show is all about and using that to then leverage a direction that, that is aligning your purpose, your heart, your mind, your soul with the external play of this thing called your life, right? It's like, I, I have multiple titles. I don't even know what to call myself anymore, but let's just say I self-identify as an accountant, right? Does that mean that I just hang out with accountant people and I, and I, and I behave the way accountants behave and, you know, I can't do yoga because that's weird or it's unchristian or I can't, you know, um, do this because I'm Jewish or do that because I'm Muslim or Hindu. And, and you fall into all of these kind of constraints of your identity um, because you're, you've never introspectively looked and asked the questions who am I? Where did that question just come from? And who just, who just perceived the, the question, right? And so the Shen really becomes the ultimate goal is to, you know, the, the metaphor that the Taoists use is if it was a candle, the Jing would be the wax. The fire, the actual flame would be the qi, which is the kind of combustion of the material into the energetic. But the real juice of it is the, the halo around the fire, which is the Shen, and the glow that comes from this kind of process of metabolism in life, the glow into the dark room and what that is, that's worth looking at, right? And that's worth looking at in um, nature and the reality that we live in of you know, kind of the natural world and what, what these things are. And more importantly, turning that around, looking at what that means inside of oneself, to wake up to who we really are because most of us are just living in a mimetic hell of viral, um, you know, kind of mental messaging, um, you know, with identity that has been constructed and patched together with bubble gum. And we've never really looked at who we are. And that to me is a, is a crisis. 
Okay. And so how do these all work together? Like, how do we keep tabs on all of them? I mean, so any, any differentiation is just for our brains to understand. Mm -hmm. Um, Everything in the universe goes down to almost an infinite level of depth in small scale and all the way back up to the universal scale. And what I'm talking about as physical is just a way for the brain to grasp the difference between physical, energetic, and spiritual, which are all overlaid on each other. So it's all life. It's all one, right? Says, says the yogis, right? But the way you want to look at that in a kind of a useful framework for, for you know, everyday life as a householder is I want to reinforce my vitality every day, life-affirming practices like, you know, eating good food, drinking enough water, sipping herbal tea, um, you know, running, exercising, sleeping, you know, the, the lifestyle parameters, and then, you know, using your vitality in a way that doesn't burn the candle on both ends. I don't want to have a super stressful lifestyle. I want to, you know, I want my kids to know their dad, you know, all the, all the things that kind of, you know, bring balance to a life that doesn't drain your vitality. And that is how your, your energy runs, right? What is your, what are your energy economics? Is stress overwhelming you? Is poor lifestyle overwhelming? Are you not sleeping? And so then once you kind of adjust the burn rate of your lifestyle, if you will, so that you're not net negative, you have extra energy in case of an emergency, you're not, you know, gasping for breath every moment because your life is is, is out of control and in chaos, then you have the time to question reality and figure out who you are and, and really reconcile where what you're doing with where you thought you'd be and where you're going. If you are a miserable person living a life that is unfulfilling for you right now, how do you think your life's going to be any different in 10 years? And is that, are there just a few pipe dreams that have been put in there mentally as patches to make it all okay? Or realistically, are you going to, have the same circumstances, if not worse, 10 years from now and be in a position where your life is working equally as, as, um, as bad, right. Uh, with less energy, less vitality, less gas in the tank to change anything. So, you know, to me, it's like navigation. Really. I do a lot of backcountry backpacking and, you know, you stop, you get your bearings and you go, okay, well, you know, we get to that mountain peak and then look and see where the valley is and then reorient. So I don't, you know, track off for 20 miles if I head in the wrong direction right now. Um, and I think that's where a lot of people have really missed the mark. And that's why I talk about life gardening and these things in my books is if your focus isn't, isn't introverted back on your own life in a meaningful way where you kind of analyze where you're at and where you're going, it's just going to get worse, man. Right. It's not, it doesn't get better. It gets worse. Now, you are a consumer of pharmaceuticals for mood, for blood pressure, for A1C, and you're just, you know, I don't know. You're- they all numb you. They don't, they actually make things worse. They actually cloud your, uh, your, your system and you, it makes it harder for you to really get in touch with what's going on inside you, right? Yeah. And, and, and you know, they are, they are the natural extension to the mental patch of some sort of weird rationalization that somehow some Hail Mary is going to make your life better if your life is, you know, heading in this track now. It's like if I'm veering off track and I'm heading towards the swamp and I don't really have any 
measures to move me away from the swamp and back to like, you know, the valley or the mountain peak that I thought I was going to get to, um, with more time, I'm just going to keep stumbling in the swamp. Right. And, and that swamp, you know, has consequences. And so I think a lot of people have, you know, fallen into this narrative that it's going to be okay. Something from the outside is going to come in and just, you know, you know, bolt of blue is going to change everything. And I think that that hail Mary, um, visual of how life works isn't how Jesus taught anything. And it certainly isn't, you know, uh, showing any evidence of working with the thousands of patients and millions of, you know, people I've interacted with over the years. It's the people who get up and do something about their lives. They have better lives. Right. So I think it's, I mean, I think people tend to treat the symptoms rather than get to the root cause of their problems. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think I want to, I want to dissect that a little bit because, you know, people hear that a lot on podcasts and books and, mm-hmm. and they're, you know, and I think the, the memetics of kind of the, that lexicon are like, oh yeah, this is that, oh, this is that, you know? And so like symptoms, root cause, what is the root cause? If you have an unhealthy root system with bad bacteria and aberrant species and unhealthy soil conditions, the plant itself becomes weak. And then out to the branches and the fruits or whatever kind of plant it is, everything from the root goes south, yet, you know, you're spraying the leaves of the plant, right? And so when we talk about a gardening metaphor, a good gardener always gets down to the soil and figures out the essence of the substrate that this thing is standing in, right? If you're coming to me um, back when I was playing doctor and saying, hey, I have headaches and all I do is try to treat your headaches and I don't realize that your husband is yelling at you or you have mold in your house or you know, the, the, the circumstance that wraps around your life is what's mm-hmm. causing the headaches, you get the world that we live in, right? And so you got to swim upstream to the substrate of the life that you're looking at be like, wow, you're miserable in your marriage. Wow, you know, you're you're lying to yourself about X, Y, and Z. And then you start to get real with yourself. And then the problems start to resolve in a meaningful way. Right. And these are just examples, obviously, but you know, anyone listening to this, what is that in your life? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So all even the emotional issues that you're going through can can cause those uh those issues that, that you're facing. I mean, that's that's the catch, right? Yeah. It's, everything is, is bubbling up in front of you to show you the problems you're not willing to look at. And so, you know, again, the answer isn't outside of you. Now, you can find help. You can find doctors and therapists and coaches and whatever. And healers outside. too. Yeah. Yeah. But at the end of the day, if you think they're going to fix you, you're deluded. Yeah. You fix right? You're recruiting helpers, but the nexus of control, the agency of the person who changes their life and becomes a self-individuated, actualized person that can actually have control over, you know, the the direction of their life to, to a certain degree, that person made the choice to do that. And that person takes the steps to do that. And then, yeah, okay, help me do burpees or, you know, what, what's a good smoothie recipe? That's fine. But the smoothie recipe is never going to change your life. And that's the problem. And that's what everyone thinks is like, oh, my God, I found this, you know, celery juice. And, you know, suddenly, you know, I found all the answers. Come on. Right. Come on. That's trite. Right. So it's a lifestyle is what you're saying. 
it's more than a lifestyle. Again, that, that's, you know, lifestyle is kind of like a, you know, a word. And people go, oh, it's a lifestyle, right? And we do these roll-ups into these kind of like mental construct categories where people are like, oh, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, I'm nice. trying to simplify it so that people I know, actually can I know. <laughs> boil it down. Because you're giving a lot of great information, but people are like, okay, so, you know, boil it down to like a couple of words. And I know I it's hard that. to do because it's such a complex no, topic. No, I don't, I don't do that. I don't do okay. that. And, and I actively will push back against it because I've been okay. on the Okay, okay, right. okay, great. And with all due respect, like this is what podcasters no, do. No, absolutely, absolutely. And people are like, yeah. okay, so what are the three things I can do? To, and, and I'm just like, no, no. Um, I need you to think about your life. Read the book. <laughs> yeah, read the book, but I need you, more importantly, I need you yeah. to step into your life and think about things that aren't roll-ups into categories saying, oh, I heard lifestyle's good, you know, celery juice. And so I don't do that because I've been on enough podcasts where I realize that everyone who's like information mongering goes, oh, yeah, okay, that guy said lifestyle. That's not what that guy said at all. That guy said, <laughs> wake up. Right, okay. right. Yeah. Wake up. Wake up. And and so the word lifestyle now yeah. a mimetic macro that pulls people into saying, oh, he's saying the same shit everyone else was saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard that. Nothing works. Right. And and so the the real activation of that is step into your life, stop fooling yourself, and become the person that you expect you to be for your kids and your future generations by realizing that you don't have a minute to waste. Exactly. Because your attention is the currency of your entire life force. And your attention right now thinks that, you know, it's Ukraine or coronavirus. Or oh, yeah. I find that happening to myself, too. I mean, I'm trying to avoid looking at my Twitter feed because it just sucks me in. So, and I think that's like the case for everybody right now. Yeah. And, and you know, there's a, there's a balance, right? Where, you know, yeah. I, I don't want to be uninformed right. about what's happening in the world. But... You know, I, I, you know, I use this example like years ago, I remember catching myself and I'm a meditator, right? Like, so I'm, I'm trained to look inward and be like, Hey, what is this? Right. I found myself in a foul mood and I'm like, why, why, why am I in this bad mood? And I traced it back to checking the score of the Laker game and my team had lost. Uh-huh. And I, I just started laughing to myself about such a trivial occurrence that subconsciously flipped my mood and put flavored my day in a direction that then had me probably not be nice to someone at work or whatever that is it is. So true. And, and that the is damn so downstream true. consequences of that. And if you yeah. think about it, check a headline that shows like I don't know some horrific thing happening in Ukraine that deserves our attention in a lot of ways. Of course, yes. And drives our mood and our our frame of mind into this despair of like what are we going to do how, you know like how, you know the world isn't safe and all the different kind of emotional um upheaval that put knocks us off our perch and makes us less capable of being the loving um kind useful humans that are actually you know um needed in this world then maybe the answer is go donate to some cause in Ukraine or go pick up a gun and fight or whatever. But you can't sit there again and take arrows all day and expect to be able to be a strong person in your life, right? So there's a very fine balance there about being informed and and caring and being overwhelmed and frustrated and, and, and shocked into not being able to live your life in a way that's meaningful and helpful to those poor people in Ukraine, right? Like you're just 
going to be depressed. That doesn't help anybody. Yeah, absolutely. So, so take action on those things as well. Yeah, take action. Yeah. Take action. And, take and action. here's the problem. That like, you know, there are people who have agency, like the girl who is running every morning, who, who fought her demons and got up and started running and, you know, now runs a podcast and lives a life that is, you know, working probably in, in my assertion has more agency to help the people in Ukraine than the person who's sinking into their couch, listening to podcasts and, and, and being like, oh yeah, I've heard all this, but I don't do anything about my life. So the person who's taking action in their own life absolutely has a lot more potential to take action for the poor life of someone in, in, in some you know, Ukrainian bombing than the person who is stunned into complicity, um, not doing anything for themselves and therefore less capable of doing anything for the world, right? That is overwhelmingly stressing them out. Right. So it benefits both you and the people around you and even the world when you, when you are willing to be accountable for your actions. Yeah. 100%. I mean, you go back yeah. to the kind of right, oxygen mask thing for the airplane, right? Yeah. Put your mask on first so that you could help the kid. Um, yeah. And if that applied to everything you did in life, how would you frame your mornings differently? How would you frame your lunches differently? Mm. How would you restructure your life garden in a way that helped support multiple plants that are bearing fruit, not just for you and your family, but then overflow into your community and your world. The perspective is all wrong, right? If you can't help yourself out of bed, how the hell are you going to help the Ukraine? Let's get real. Absolutely. Well, Pedro, thank you so much. This has been tremendously insightful. And I'm sure that a lot of people will benefit from listening to this. I mean, uh, you've given us some tough love here, which I think is really, really needed. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it's been so wonderful talking to you. Thank you. Thank you for doing this. Thanks for um, being a, a megaphone, right? That's the, the world needs it, right? And, you know, yeah. again, I encourage everyone who listened to this um, to understand that it's not the information that you gleaned here. You could Google information. Hopefully, it's a little bit of a kick in the ass and some inspiration to actually activate and use information in your mm -hmm. life so that you can have change, effect effectively actualize what it is that you want to do so you can change your life because more information isn't enough. It's what you do with it. Absolutely. Uh, and speaking of information, I just want to quickly mention uh, your, your book, uh, Pedram Shoja's new book, uh, Focus, Bringing Time, Energy, and Money into Flow is now available in all major bookstores and on his website, theurbanmonk.com. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Uh, Pedram, it's been a pleasure and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. You too. Thank you. Hey everyone. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed what you just heard, please subscribe to my podcast and feel free to share it with your friends and family. Take care and speak soon.